Chapter Two of Shadows in Zambula by Robert E. Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Shadows in Zambula, Chapter Two, The Night Skulkers. It was the stealthy opening of a door which awakened the Sumerian. He did not awake as civilized men do, drowsy and drugged and stupid. He awoke instantly, with a clear mind recognizing the sound that had interrupted his sleep. Lying there tensely in the dark, he saw the outer door slowly open. In the widening crack of starlit sky he saw framed a great black bulk, broad, stooping shoulders, and a misshapen head blocked out against the stars. Conan felt the skin crawl between his shoulders. He had bolted that door securely. How could it be opening now? save by supernatural agency. And how could a human being possess a head like that outlined against the stars? All the tales he had heard in the Zuagir tents of devils and goblins came back to bead his flesh with clammy sweat. Now the monster slid noiselessly into the room, with a crouching posture and shambling gait. And a familiar scent assailed the Sumerian's nostrils, but did not reassure him since Zuagir legendary represented demons as smelling like that. Noiselessly Conan coiled his long legs under him. His naked sword was in his right hand, and when he struck it was as suddenly and murderously as a tiger lunging out of the dark. Not even a demon could have avoided that catapulting charge. His sword met and clove through flesh and bone, and something went heavily to the floor with a strangling cry. Conan crouched in the dark above it, sword dripping in his hand. Devil or beast or man, the thing was dead there on the floor. He sensed death as any wild thing senses it. He glared through the half-open door into the starlit court beyond. The gate stood open, but the court was empty. Conan shut the door but did not bolt it. Groping in the darkness, he found the lamp and lighted it. There was enough oil in it to burn for a minute or so. An instant later he was bending over the figure that sprawled on the floor in a pool of blood. It was a gigantic black man, naked but for a loincloth. One hand still grasped a knotty-headed bludgeon. The fellow's kinky wool was built up into horn-like spindles with twigs and dried mud. This barbaric coiffure had given the head its misshapen appearance in the starlight. Provided with the clue to the riddle, Conan pushed back the thick red lips and grunted as he stared down at the teeth filed to points. He understood now the mystery of the strangers who had disappeared from the house of Aram Baksh, the riddle of the black drum thrumming out there beyond the palm groves, and of that pit of charred bones. That pit where strange meat might be roasted under the stars, while black beast squatted about to glut a hideous hunger. The man on the floor was a cannibal slave from Darfar. There were many of his kind in the city. Cannibalism was not tolerated openly in Zambula. But Conan knew now why people locked themselves in so securely at night, and why even beggars shun the open alleys and doorless ruins. He grunted in disgust as he visualized brutish black shadows skulking up and down the nighted streets, 
seeking human prey, and such men as Aram Baksh to open the doors to them. The innkeeper was not a demon, he was worse. The slaves from Darfar were notorious thieves. There was no doubt that some of their pilfered loot found its way into the hands of Aram Baksh, and in return he sold them human flesh. Conan blew out the light, stepped to the door, and opened it, and ran his hand over the ornaments on the outer side. One of them was movable and worked the bolt inside. The room was a trap to catch human prey like rabbits. But this time, instead of a rabbit, it had caught a saber-toothed tiger. Conan returned to the other door, lifted the bolt, and pressed against it. It was immovable, and he remembered the bolt on the other side. Aram was taking no chances, either with his victims or the men with whom he dealt. Buckling on his sword-belt, the Sumerian strode out into the court, closing the door behind him. He had no intention of delaying the settlement of his reckoning with Aram Baksh. He wondered how many poor devils had been bludgeoned in their sleep and dragged out of that room and down the road that ran through the shadowed palm-groves to the roasting-pit. He halted in the court. The drum was still muttering, and he caught the reflection of a leaping red glare through the groves. Cannibalism was more than a perverted appetite with the black men of Darfar. It was an integral element of their ghastly cult. The black vultures were already in conclave. But whatever flesh filled their bellies that night, it would not be his. To reach Arambaksh, he must climb one of the walls which separated the small enclosure from the main compound. They were high, meant to keep out the man-eaters. But Conan was no swamp-bred black man. His thews had been steeled in boyhood on the sheer cliffs of his native hills. He was standing at the foot of the nearer wall when a cry echoed under the trees. In an instant Conan was crouching at the gate, glaring down the road. The sound had come from the shadows of the huts across the road. He heard a frantic choking and gurgling, such as might result from a desperate attempt to shriek, with a black hand fastened over the victim's mouth. A close-knit clump of figures emerged from the shadows beyond the huts, and started down the road, three huge black men carrying a slender, struggling figure between them. Conan caught the glimmer of pale limbs writhing in the starlight even as, with a convulsive wrench, the captive slipped from the grasp of the brutal fingers and came flying up the road, a supple young woman, naked as the day she was born. Conan saw her plainly before she ran out of the road and into the shadows between the huts. The blacks were at her heels, and back in the shadows the figures merged, and an intolerable scream of anguish and horror rang out. Stirred to red rage by the ghoulishness of the episode, Conan raced across the road. Neither victim nor abductors were aware of his presence until the soft swish of the dust about his feet brought them about, and then he was almost upon them, coming with the gusty fury of a hill wind. Two of the blacks turned to meet him, lifting their bludgeons. But they failed to estimate properly the speed at which he was coming. One of them was down, disemboweled, before he could strike, and wheeling cat-like, Conan evaded the stroke of the other's cudgel and lashed in a whistling countercut. The black's head flew into the air. 
the headless body took three staggering steps, spurting blood and clawing horribly at the air with groping hands, and then slumped to the dust. The remaining cannibal gave back with a strangled yell, hurling his captive from him. She tripped and rolled in the dust, and the black fled in blind panic toward the city. Conan was at his heels. Fear winged the black feet, but before they reached the easternmost hut he sensed death at his back and bellowed like an ox in the slaughter-yards. "'Black dog of hell!' Conan drove his sword between the dusky shoulders with such vengeful fury that the broad blade stood out half its length from the black breast. With a choking cry the black stumbled headlong, and Conan braced his feet and dragged out his sword as his victim fell. Only the breeze disturbed the leaves. Conan shook his head as a lion shakes its mane, and growled his unsatiated bloodlust. But no more shapes slunk from the shadows, and before the huts the starlit road stretched empty. He whirled at the quick patter of feet behind him, but it was only the girl, rushing to throw herself on him and clasp his neck in a desperate grasp, frantic from terror of the abominable fate she had just escaped. "'Easy, girl,' he grunted. "'You're all right. How did they catch you?' She sobbed something unintelligible. He forgot all about Arambaksh as he scrutinized her by the light of the stars. She was white, though a very definite brunette, obviously one of Zambula's many mixed breeds. She was tall, with a slender, supple form, as he was in a good position to observe. Admiration burned in his fierce eyes as he looked down on her splendid bosom and her lithe limbs, which still quivered from fright and exertion. He passed an arm around her flexible waist and said, reassuringly, "'Stop shaking, wench. You're safe enough.' His touch seemed to restore her shaken sanity. She tossed back her thick, glossy locks and cast a fearful glance over her shoulder while she pressed closer to the Cimmerian as if seeking security in the contact. "'They caught me in the streets,' she muttered, shuddering, "'lying in wait beneath a dark arch. Black men, like great hulking apes. Set have mercy on me. I shall dream of it.' "'What were you doing out on the streets this time of night?' he inquired, fascinated by the satiny feel of her sleek skin under his questing fingers. She raked back her hair and stared blankly up into his face. She did not seem aware of his caresses. "'My lover,' she said, "'my lover drove me into the streets. He went mad and tried to kill me. As I fled from him I was seized by those beasts.' "'Beauty like yours might drive a man mad.' quoth Conan, running his fingers experimentally through her glossy tresses. She shook her head, like one emerging from a daze. She no longer trembled, and her voice was steady. It was the spite of a priest, of Tutrasmek, the high priest of Hanuman, who desires me for himself, the dog. No need to curse him for that, grinned Conan. The old hyena has better taste than I thought. She ignored the bluff compliment. She was regaining her poise swiftly. "'My lover is a young Turanian soldier, 
to spite me, Totrasmek gave him a drug that drove him mad. Tonight he snatched up a sword and came at me to slay me in his madness, but I fled from him into the streets. The negro seized me and brought me to this. What was that? Conan had already moved. Soundlessly as a shadow he drew her behind the nearest hut, beneath the straggling palms. They stood in tense stillness, while the low mutterings both had heard grew louder until voices were distinguishable. A group of negroes, some nine or ten, were coming along the road from the direction of the city. The girl clutched Conan's arm, and he felt the terrified quivering of her supple body against his. Now they could understand the gutturals of the black men. "'Our brothers have already assembled at the pit,' said one. "'We have had no luck. I hope they have enough for us.' "'Aram promised us a man,' muttered another, and Conan mentally promised Aram something. "'Aram keeps his word,' grunted yet another. "'Many a man we have taken from his tavern, but we pay him well. I myself have given him ten bales of silk I stole from my master. It was good silk, by set. The black shuffle passed, bare splay feet scuffing up the dust, and their voices dwindled down the road. "'Well, for us those corpses are lying behind these huts,' muttered Conan. "'If they look in Aram's death-room, they'll find another. Let's be gone.' "'Yes, let us hasten,' begged the girl, almost hysterical again. "'My lover is wandering somewhere in the streets alone. The negroes may take him.' A devil of a custom this is," growled Conan, as he led the way toward the city, paralleling the road but keeping behind the huts and straggling trees. Why don't the citizens clean out these black dogs? They are valuable slaves," murmured the girl. There are so many of them they might revolt if they are denied the flesh for which they lust. The people of Zambula know they skulk the streets at night and all are careful to remain within locked doors, except when something unforeseen happens, as it did to me. The blacks prey on anything they catch, but they seldom catch anybody but strangers. The people of Zambula are not concerned with the strangers that pass through the city. Such men as Arambaksh sell these strangers to the blacks. He would not dare attempt such a thing with a citizen." Conan spat in disgust and a moment later led his companion out into the road which was becoming a street, with still, unlighted houses on each side. Slinking in the shadows was not congenial to his nature. "'Where do you want to go?' he asked. The girl did not seem to object to his arm about her waist. "'To my house, to rouse my servants,' she answered. "'To bid them search for my lover. I do not wish the city, the priests.' anyone to know of his madness. He—he he is a young officer with a promising future. Perhaps we can drive this madness from him if we can find him." "'If we find him?' rumbled Conan. "'What makes you think I want to spend the night scouring the streets for a lunatic?' She cast a quick glance into his face and properly interpreted the gleam in his blue eyes. Any woman could have known that he would follow her wherever she led, for a while at least. But, being a woman, she concealed her knowledge of that fact. "'Please,' she began with a hint of tears in her voice, 
I have no one else to ask for help. You have been kind." "'All right,' he grunted. "'All right. What's the young reprobate's name?' "'Why, a laugh doll. I am Zabibi, a dancing girl. I have danced often before the satrap, Jongir Khan, and his mistress, Nefertari, and before all the lords and royal ladies of Zambula. Totresmek desired me, and because I repulsed him, he made me the innocent tool of his vengeance against Alafdal. I asked a love-potion of Totrasmek, not suspecting the depth of his guile and hate. He gave me a drug to mix with my lover's wine, and he swore that when Alafdal drank it he would love me even more madly than ever, and grant me every wish. I mixed the drug secretly with my lover's wine, but having drunk, my lover went raving mad and things came about as I have told you. Curse Tatrasmek, the hybrid snake! Ah! She caught his arm convulsively and both stopped short. They had come into a district of shops and stalls, all deserted and unlighted, for the hour was late. They were passing an alley, and in its mouth a man was standing, motionless and silent. His head was lowered, but Conan caught the weird gleam of eerie eyes regarding them unblinkingly. His skin crawled not with fear of the sword in the man's hand, but because of the uncanny suggestion of his posture and silence. They suggested madness. Conan pushed the girl aside and drew his sword. "'Don't kill him,' she begged. "'In the name of Set, do not slay him. You are strong. Overpower him.' "'We'll see,' he muttered grasping the sword in his right hand and clenching his left into a mallet-like fist. He took a wary step toward the alley, and with a horrible moaning laugh the Turanian charged. As he came he swung his sword, rising on his toes as he put all the power of his body behind the blows. Sparks flashed blue as Conan parried the blade, and the next instant the madman was stretched senseless in the dust from a thundering buffet of Conan's left fist. The girl ran forward. "'Oh, he is not! He is not!' Conan bent swiftly, turning the man on his side, and ran quick fingers over him. "'He's not hurt much,' he grunted. "'Bleeding at the nose, but anybody's likely to do that after a clout on the jaw.' He'll come to after a bit, and maybe his mind will be right. In the meantime, I'll tie his wrists with his sword-belt, so. Now, where do you want me to take him?" "'Wait!' She knelt beside the senseless figure, seized the bound hands, and scanned them avidly. Then, shaking her head as if in baffled disappointment, she rose. She came close to the giant Cimmerian, and laid her slender hands on his arching breast. Her dark eyes, like wet black jewels in the starlight, gazed up into his. "'You are a man. Help me. Totresmek must die. Slay him for me.' "'And put my neck in a Turanian noose,' he grunted. "'Nay!' The slender arms, strong as pliant steel, were around his corded neck. Her supple body throbbed against his. "'The Hyrcanians have no love for Totresmek. The priests of Set fear him. He is a mongrel who rules men by fear and superstition. I worship Set, and the Turanians bow to Erlek, 
but Tutras makes sacrifices to Hanuman the accursed. The Turanian lords fear his black arts and his power over the hybrid population, and they hate him. If he were slain in his temple at night, they would not seek his slayer very closely. And what of his magic? rumbled the Cimmerian. You are a fighting man, she answered. To risk your life is part of your profession. For a price, he admitted. There will be a price, she breathed, rising on tiptoe to gaze into his eyes. The nearness of her vibrant body drove a flame through his veins. The perfume of her breath mounted to his brain. But as his arms closed about her supple figure, she avoided them with a lithe movement, saying, Wait! First serve me in this matter. Name your price. He spoke with some difficulty. Pick up my lover, she directed, and the Cimmerian stooped and swung the tall form easily to his broad shoulder. At the moment he felt as if he could have toppled over Jungir Khan's palace with equal ease. The girl murmured an endearment to the unconscious man, and there was no hypocrisy in her attitude. She obviously loved Alafdal sincerely. Whatever business arrangement she made with Conan would have no bearing on her relationship with Alafdal. Women are more practical about these things than men. Follow me! She hurried along the street, while the Cimmerian strode easily after her, in no way discomforted by his limp burden. He kept a wary eye out for black shadows skulking under arches, but saw nothing suspicious. Doubtless the men of Darfar were all gathered at the roasting pit. The girl turned down a narrow side street and presently knocked cautiously at an arched door. Almost instantly a wicket opened in the upper panel, and a black face glanced out. She bent close to the opening, whispering swiftly. Bolts creaked in their sockets and the door opened. A giant black man stood framed against the soft glow of a copper lamp. A quick glance showed Conan the man was not from Darfar. His teeth were unfiled and his kinky hair was cropped close to his skull. He was from Wadai. At a word from Zabibi, Conan gave the limp body into the black's arms, and saw the young officer laid on a velvet divan. He showed no signs of returning consciousness. The blow that had rendered him senseless might have felled an ox. Zabibi bent over him for an instant, her fingers nervously twining and twisting. Then she straightened and beckoned the Cimmerian. The door closed softly, the locks clicked behind them, and the closing wicket shut off the glow of the lamps. In the starlight of the street Zabibi took Conan's hand. Her own hand trembled a little. "'You will not fail me?' He shook his maned head, massive against the stars. "'Then follow me to Hanuman's shrine, and the gods have mercy on our souls!' Along the silent streets they moved like phantoms of antiquity. They went in silence. Perhaps the girl was thinking of her lover lying senseless on the divan under the copper lamps, or was shrinking with fear of what lay ahead of them in the demon-haunted shrine of Hanuman. The barbarian was thinking only of the woman moving so supplely beside him. The perfume of her scented hair was in his nostrils, the sensuous aura of her presence filled his brain, 
and left room for no other thoughts. Once they heard the clank of brass-shod feet, and drew into the shadows of a gloomy arch while a squad of Pelishtim watchmen swung past. There were fifteen of them. They marched in close formation, pikes at the ready, and the rearmost men had their broad brass shields slung on their backs to protect them from a knife-stroke from behind. The skulking menace of the black man-eaters was a threat even to armed men. As soon as the clang of their sandals had receded up the street, Conan and the girl emerged from their hiding-place and hurried on. A few moments later they saw the squat, flat-topped edifice they sought looming ahead of them. The temple of Hanuman stood alone in the midst of a broad square, which lay silent and deserted beneath the stars. A marble wall surrounded the shrine, with a broad opening directly before the portico. This opening had no gate or any sort of barrier. "'Why don't the blacks seek their prey here?' muttered Conan. "'There's nothing to keep them out of the temple.' He could feel the trembling of Zabibi's body as she pressed close to him. "'They fear Totrasmek, as all in Zambula fear him, even Jonkir Khan and Nefertari. Come, come quickly, before my courage flows from me like water.' The girl's fear was evident, but she did not falter. Conan drew his sword and strode ahead of her as they advanced through the open gateway. He knew the hideous habits of the priests of the East, and was aware that an invader of Hanuman's shrine might expect to encounter almost any sort of nightmare horror. He knew there was a good chance that neither he nor the girl would ever leave the shrine alive but he had risked his life too many times before to devote much thought to that consideration. They entered a court paved with marble which gleamed whitely in the starlight. A short flight of broad marble steps led up to the pillared portico. The great bronze doors stood wide open, as they had stood for centuries. But no worshippers burnt incense within. In the day, men and women might come timidly into the shrine and place offerings to the ape-god on the black altar. At night, the people shunned the temple of Hanuman as hares shun the lair of the serpent. Burning censers bathed the interior in a soft weird glow that created an illusion of unreality. Near the rear wall, behind the black stone altar, sat the god with his gaze fixed forever on the open door through which, for centuries, his victims had come, dragged by chains of roses. A faint groove ran from the sill to the altar, and when Conan's foot felt it, he stepped away as quickly as if he had trodden upon a snake. That groove had been worn by the faltering feet of the multitude of those who had died screaming on that grim altar. Bestial in the uncertain light, Hanuman leered with his carven mask. He sat, not as an ape would crouch, but cross-legged as a man would sit, but his aspect was no less simian for that reason. He was carved from black marble, but his eyes were rubies, which glowed red and lustful as the coals of hell's deepest pits. His great hands lay upon his lap, palms upward, taloned fingers spread and grasping. In the gross emphasis of his attributes, in the leer of his satyr countenance, 
was reflected the abominable cynicism of the degenerate cult which deified him. The girl moved around the image, making toward the back wall, when her sleek flank brushed against a carven knee. She shrank aside and shuddered as if a reptile had touched her. There was a space of several feet between the broad back of the idol and the marble wall with its frieze of gold leaves. On either hand, flanking the idol, an ivory door under a gold arch was set in the wall. "'Those doors open into each end of a hairpin-shaped corridor,' she said hurriedly. "'Once I was in the interior of the shrine. Once!' She shivered and twitched her slim shoulders at a memory both terrifying and obscene. "'The corridor is bent like a horseshoe, with each horn opening into this room. Tartarus Mech's chambers are enclosed within the curve of the corridor and open into it. But there is a secret door in this wall which opens directly into an inner chamber." She began to run her hands over the smooth surface, where no crack or crevice showed. Conan stood beside her, sword in hand, glancing warily about him. The silence, the emptiness of the shrine, with imagination picturing what might lie behind that wall, made him feel like a wild beast nosing a trap. "'Ah!' The girl had found the hidden spring at last. A square opening gaped blackly in the wall. "'Sit!' she screamed, and even as Conan leapt toward her, he saw that a great misshapen hand had fastened itself in her hair. She was snatched off her feet and jerked head first through the opening. Conan, grabbing ineffectually at her, felt his fingers slip from a naked limb, and in an instant she had vanished and the wall showed blank as before. Only from beyond it came briefly the muffled sounds of a struggle, a scream faintly heard, and a low laugh that made Conan's blood congeal in his veins. End of chapter 2